0: The book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. Peace be with you. Really good to see you. Beautiful morning. I want to open with a word of prayer. As I am uh, really excited for this morning, really confident uh, for what I believe the Lord uh, has for us this morning. So let's pray, um, opening in a, in a posture of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your presence with us this morning. Thank you for revealing your beauty in the sunrise and in the sunshine today. Thank you for revealing your beauty in People gathered to sing your praises and share fellowship and uh, learn from you. Father, we pray today that you would pour out a hunger for you into our hearts. Make the things of this world less uh, appealing to us. Make your greatness and your glory and your life far more appealing to us. As the deer pants for water, may we long to drink from streams of your living water. Lord Jesus, we know that you went without food, you taught your disciples to fast, and we long to step into your life to practice your way. And so would you enable us to follow you in your fasting? And Holy Spirit of God, would you fill this place even now? knowing that you're always with us and always among us, even within us. We pray for a fullness of an awareness that that you are here, that you are good, that you are powerful, and so fill us to the, the full measure with your Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you have had this experience before, but often when I'm Working when I'm really caught up in work, like if I'm writing a sermon or an article or doing meetings, I get so caught up that I forget to eat and drink. Uh, and then I get home at the end of the day and I'm just totally famished, like passed out, kind of famished. Um, earlier when my wife and I were dating, when we were in college, I was living in Alaska, working in a lumber yard, doing super cool stuff. Uh, she was in Missouri working at a, a quasi-cultish camp called Kanakuk. That's a joke. <laughs> The only times we could talk to each other on the phone were during my lunch break at work. And so I would often skip lunch just to be able to talk with her on the phone. Uh, Now these days with three kids, our meals are kind of crazy. And so uh, our tradition is we sit down at the table, we dish out all the boys' food first. We get it all on their plates and then we pray and they dive in to eat and then we dish out our food. Usually by the time we're taking our first bites, they're like finishing their food and trying to run out the front door. But in all three of those little examples, uh, you know, we can put off eating, we can put off enjoying food if there's something greater that we're doing, right? Like the body can actually go quite a while without food as long as the heart and the mind are committed to something greater, and so it's really incredible how we can abstain from food and not even feel its power over us if we're hearts, our hearts are so tuned on something that we believe is, is even greater, whether it's a hobby or work or a relationship. If we're focused on it, the draw of food becomes so much weaker. Now, food is a good gift from God. I, I love food. I think we all do. I'm not even a foodie, you know, like I just eat peanut butter and like grilled chicken and that's it. My favorite flavor of bagel is plain Nonetheless, I love food. Food is a gift from the Lord. But in fasting, what we're doing is abstaining from from food, abstaining from something so good and a gift from God for a period of time so that we can fix our appetite on something even greater, on God and His presence. And so what we're going to do today, we're in this long series in the book of Acts, going chapter by chapter through the narrative. But every now and then we pull out a theme that exists in all the different chapters and we look at it in detail. So today we're looking at fasting. Eight or nine times in the book of Acts, we see the early church fasting, fasting for more of God's presence, fasting before a major decision or before a new initiative in the life of the church. And fasting plays a huge role all throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament alone, there's 55 examples or references to fasting, and in the New Testament, there's 30 Moses fasted for 40 days, Elijah and the prophets fasted. Uh, A lot of the Psalms are born out of David's fasting. Jesus fasted for 40 days before doing anything at all in ministry. He taught his disciples how to fast and then in the early church we see them fasting over and over and over again. And so if it's so prominent throughout all the scriptures, I I tend to wonder why is it not more of a feature in our, our daily Christian lives? when I thought about it, I've been in ministry for 12 years, and I've never taught on fasting. I've never even heard a sermon on fasting in the churches that I've been in. And I came across this quote a couple months ago. It's an old author, somebody I hadn't heard of. And he wrote, almost everywhere at all times, fasting has held a place of great importance since it is so closely linked with the intimate sense of religion. Perhaps this is the explanation for the demise of fasting in our day. When the sense of God diminishes, fasting disappears. And so that hit me so hard that fasting is so closely related to the the intimate walk with the Lord. And wherever fasting is is disappearing, it could be that our heart for the Lord is diminished. And so I want to look at, at fasting. I want to look at just two things, the why of fasting and then the how of fasting, And towards the end, I actually want to invite us to our first ever congregational fast, a time where we will fast together in the season of Lent. And I'll outline that more at the end. But first of all, the why of fasting. Jesus' first bit of teaching on fasting comes in the Sermon on the Mount, which is this incredible bit of teaching in Matthew 5 through 7. It's, it's his teaching where he lays out how to live in the kingdom of God. And he has these three statements and three bits of teaching that he holds together. And he says, when you give to the poor, and then he teaches. And he says, when you pray, and then he teaches. And he says, when you fast, and then he explains how to do it. Jesus' whole assumption is that we will be giving to the poor regularly, that we'll be praying daily, that we will be fasting on a regular basis. He assumes that we will be doing it. And so if you want a definition, it's pretty simple. Fasting is simply the elimination of food for some period of time so that we can focus our appetite on something even greater. But before I go any further, I want to recognize that there are indeed people who probably should not be fasting, at least fasting from food. In the Scriptures, fasting is almost always talking about abstaining from food, But there are many reasons why this might not be a good idea for you. So if you have health issues, if you're diabetic, if you're pregnant, uh, and especially if you have a history with disordered eating, we just want to say fasting from food is probably not for you right now. Instead, whenever you hear me say fasting or see a scripture on fasting, the best thing to do is to think of abstaining from something that is a good gift from the Lord for a season so that you can sense God's presence in a stronger way. And so if you're in one of those categories, all you have to say is, for health reasons, I'm not fasting, but I've chosen to give up something else, and I believe the Lord will lead you in, in what it is to give up that's, that's equivalent to giving up food for a period of time. Now, if you're just like a dude who wants to get out of fasting, and you're like, I'm taking 24 hours off from Netflix once a week, I'm like, well, you know, the Lord sees everything, so it's up to you. All right, so three reasons why We fast, and I'll walk through these from the Scriptures. Number one, we fast to cultivate a hunger for God. In Psalm 27, David says he has just one goal in life, and I love this passage. He says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. And so David's saying, there's only one thing that I need in life, and this is a king who had just about everything you could want in life, but he says, there's only one thing that I seek, and it's to be in the presence of God, to see his beauty, to live close to him, not just for a moment, but all the days of my life to be in the powerful presence of God. This is a prayer of a man who is hungry for the Lord. A man who has tasted everything the world has to offer in greater measure than any of us probably, and yet he recognizes that none of those things are satisfying. Only the presence of God is satisfying. Fasting cultivates a hunger for God. The more deeply you pursue God, the more you long to practice the way of Jesus, the more you want to be filled with His Holy Spirit, the more this fasting is going to contribute to your hunger for God. When you fast, the the things of this world grow less appealing. When you fast, the, the nearness to the Lord that you experience gets even stronger. As that hunger rises up within you, you realize how dependent you are on the Holy Spirit, moment in and moment out. When we fast, we become more aware of our sin, more disgusted by the remaining sin in our lives. We long to be filled with all the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We begin to see that our our neighbors and co-workers and friends and family members who don't know the Lord, we are the ones who can bring the gospel to them. The more we fast, the more we are aligned with the needs and the condition of the poor. Those who are hungry day in and day out, we identify with them in fasting. Fasting helps us long for the return of Christ to crush our enemy and bring about the renewal of all things. John Piper has one of the best, well, one of the only books on fasting. And uh, he has this great quote. He says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of God, it is not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the doling effects of food and to say with a simple fast, this much, O God, I want you. And so fasting is this private, this intense spiritual practice. In a sense, it's more intimate and more intense than any other of the spiritual disciplines because it is so hard to do. And I think because of that, it's so susceptible to corruption, so susceptible to us turning it into a form of holiness or some demonstration that we are more godly than other people. And so the very first time that Jesus teaches on fasting in Matthew 6, I mentioned it earlier, He says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show that they are fasting. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to God. And so Jesus' first bit of teaching on fasting is to keep it from being corrupted by our desire to draw attention to ourselves. He says even to hide the fact that we are fasting so that nobody can, can see it and, and we don't get praise from people, only we get the praise that comes from God. And so I want us to recognize, especially when we step into a congregational fast, I think it's good to let other people know in your community that you're fasting, but to not make it into a, a competition or a form of spiritual pride in any way. And yet at the same time, when I consider Jesus' words, I recognize too that he was living in a a very religious society, right? Israel at the time is very religious. And so fasting and making your face look like you are depleted and you haven't eaten from food, that was a a way for you to get, uh, you know, acclaim and status in that community. It's not really the same, uh, I don't think, in our community here. And so I want us to to heed this warning, but I also want us to recognize that if we're not fasting because we're afraid of becoming legalistic or doing things for the wrong reason, well, it's like not worshiping or not praying or not reading our Bibles because we're afraid of it becoming legalistic. Fasting is an appropriate response to the love of God that He has shown us. It's a response to the work of grace in our hearts totally unearned is our salvation. We respond with total devotion to Him, even eliminating some of His gifts from time to time, including food, so that we can focus on the giver rather than the gift. And so we fast to cultivate a hunger for God. The second thing is that we fast to purify our hearts. We live in a world of of abundance, a world of distraction, Food is everywhere in our culture, we're well fed, we're probably overfed. Even though there are people all over the world who are struggling to find food for the day, we probably throw away more food as a culture than some people even have access to in a normal day. We're surrounded by a thousand other comforts and and delicacies, probably without even realizing it. There's a great uh, Christian cultural commentator, Mark Sayers. He says, fasting is a way to desecularize our hearts. I would probably go so far as to say that the most pressing temptations for us in this room are not the things that are, that are outrightly wrong. You know, the big and obvious sins like becoming a, an addict, uh, pornography, you know, all the, the things that we know are wrong, rejecting the faith. The biggest temptations for us are going to be far more subtle. It's going to be taking good things, uh, fine things, but then, you know, blowing them way out of proportion or using them as some kind of substitute for joy and peace in the Lord. So watching Netflix for two or three hours every single night or endless scrolling on social media. Having caffeine and sugar throughout the day to sort of get up and get excited for work and then two or three glasses of wine at the end of the day to come back down so that we can sleep. Putting hundreds of dollars each month on a credit card just out of boredom or to keep up with other people. These are the the easy kind of quiet temptations that, that berate our lives in this country. Now legalism is saying no alcohol ever, no Netflix ever. And so that's not the goal of today, and that's not the goal of fasting. But I think just as dangerous is to say, as much as you want, all the time, as much as you can handle, always be filled. Never restrict yourself from having anything at all, but always be consuming to the fullness that you can handle. I think more than any other culture in the world, more than any other time in church history, we need to be fasting purify our hearts, to desecularize our souls. Fasting has a way of, of identifying and drawing to the surface things that are hidden deep in our hearts. I mean, we all get hangry, right? You know, when you're hungry and then you just get grumpier and grumpier and grumpier until you eat. I fasted earlier this week, and uh, right as I was breaking the fast, I uh, honestly, I just got really upset slammed a door I had like the biggest explosion with my kids that I've had in like months and I felt horrible Uh, the very first thing I wanted to do was to say to myself well it's because you haven't eaten in 24 hours the reality is that that anger has been in there the whole time that anger was just you know buried beneath a layer of hamburgers and plain bagels Everything that's in there is in there. And, And we have a way of just pressing food on top of it so that we don't have to deal with those deep realities, those dark things in our souls. Richard Foster, in The Celebration of Discipline, he says, More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside of us, with food, and with other things. And so finding these hidden sins, the the low-level things that distract us from the Lord, the temptations that we continue to succumb to, we find these things when we're fasting, and we also find freedom from them. You can't get freedom from something you don't know is in there, but when you see it and it's exposed, and you can turn from it and turn to the living God, it's purifying. In Psalm 35, David said, I humbled my soul with fasting. And so fasting has a way of humbling our souls, desecularizing our hearts. It purifies us from the inside out. That's the second thing. And the third thing, we could look at a ton more, but the third reason why we fast is to seek God's help. This is what brings us to the book of Acts, where the the disciples, the apostles, are all gathered together in prayer, and they're seeking the power and the wisdom of the Lord. In Acts 13, it says that the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Many other times we see something similar in Acts. In Acts 9, we see that when Jesus appeared to Saul on the road, Saul was transformed completely. He spent the next three days fasting before he would see anybody else. In Acts 10, a godly man named Cornelius is praying and fasting. he, He receives a vision from the Lord that leads to the salvation of his entire household. In Acts 14, at the end of this sort of missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas do out of Antioch, in Acts 14, they're establishing pastors in all the congregations that they've started. And it says, with prayer and fasting, they committed the new pastors to the Lord. So fasting is a way of seeking God's power, seeking His wisdom for our daily lives. This is one of the major reasons I want us to do a fast together as a church. You know, when we were first start, starting to talk about planting this church two and a half, three years ago, we, we fasted before making the decision to come back home and plant. Before we had our first Bible study a couple years ago, a few of us that were leading at the time, we, we committed ourselves to fasting. Before we had our, our public launch gathering a year and a half ago, we committed to fasting Again. And I get the sense now that the Lord is leading us into another season of fasting to prepare us for what might be coming next. To deepen us in our faith and our connection together as a church. To make us more, more effective, more fruitful in our outreach to the city and, and seeing people restored to God, to seeing us walk in the ways of the Lord. I think the Lord wants to lead us into a new season of ministry and of depth and fasting is the way to begin and to enter into that season. This year, our theme is Renewal Seeking Prayer. Prayer that seeks the renewal of our hearts, our lives, our congregation, the renewal of our very city, even the renewal of the ends of the earth. We want to hunger for God to be be filled with His Spirit. And fasting is a way of, of sort of opening wide the gates of our hearts so that God can pour more of His Spirit into us. Fasting creates a hunger that can only be filled by the living God. Fasting shows us that we can only go a few weeks without food, we can only go a few days without water, we can only go a few minutes without air, but we can only go a moment without the presence of God. We need God's presence more than air, more than water, more than food. Fasting creates a fresh passion for worship. It shows our need for the support of each other. It reminds us of the condition of those who don't have access to food day in and day out. And so we fast. We fast to create a hunger for God, to purify our hearts, and to seek God's help. And then how do we do it? That's the the second thing, the how of fasting. It's pretty simple, actually. You just don't eat for a while. Like, that's the definition of fasting. You pick a period of time, and you don't eat. So... That is fasting. Uh, A few things that I've learned along the way, um, you know, I'm careful to not uh, try to elevate my experience of fasting. I'm really not an expert in fasting at all, um, especially given Jesus' warnings. But I want to give a few sort of practical things on starting a fast, maintaining a fast, and then breaking a fast. And so how to start a fast. I think it's important to pick a definite period of time that you sense the Lord calling you to fast, and it could be anything from a single meal that you take off to uh, 24 hours. That's one of the most common uh, places to begin. That's what I want us to encourage to do: is a 24-hour fast. And so you're essentially giving up two meals. And so in a 24-hour fast, you you begin with dinner, say on a, a Monday night. You eat a small dinner, not a massive dinner. You're not like packing in all the food you can to sustain you. For the next 24 hours, I've learned the hard way that you just get hungrier sooner and you stay hungrier longer. But instead, a small meal to to begin your fast, and then you don't eat that evening. You don't eat the following morning. You only drink water. I allow myself a, a small cup of coffee in the morning to prevent headaches. But for the most part, uh, avoiding caffeine, avoiding any calories, but just drinking water. And so at breakfast time, at lunch time, you take the time you would normally spend in food prep and eating and cleanup, and you devote that time to prayer, to worship, to coming before God. And so starting the fast, it's important to do it in a, in a way that sets you up for, uh, for success and that you have a time that you've chosen when you will break the fast. Now, maintaining the fast. It's not easy. I really don't enjoy fasting. I enjoy the idea of fasting. I enjoy when I have fasted, but in the middle of fasting, especially towards the end of it, it's, it's really, really difficult. Even in a 24-hour fast that I did earlier in the week, when I hit about 2 p.m., like just a few hours before breaking the fast at dinner, I started to get so cranky, so hungry. I lost all my ability to focus on what I was doing, I'm like having visions of dancing hot dogs, just like mocking me, like dancing hot dogs, eating donuts. I'm like, it's been 20 hours and I'm already hallucinating. <laughs> well, maintain, stick with it. This is really where the good stuff happens. When you feel that strong hunger and you want to say, you know what, I've, I've gone 20 hours or whatever it is. Maybe I'll just break the fast right here. That was, that was a great start. And it's fine if you do that. Or maybe you want to say, you know, I'm just going to press through. I'm going to focus on my work. I'm going to do something to take my mind off the hunger. I would instead say, when you feel those those hunger pangs, turn upward towards the Lord. Pray, Father, would you make me hungry for you? Every time you feel irritated or depressed or anything negative, pray, Lord, thank you for showing me that this was already in my heart. Would you purify me? Would you allow me to, to turn from this and to be satisfied only in your presence? And then breaking the fast when it's time to eat again. Again, you want to be smart. If it's a one-meal fast, then you can just eat as you normally would the following meal. If it's a 24-hour fast, you want your first meal back to be probably fruits and vegetables to kind of re-engage your, your stomach, your colon. I've learned the hard way that if you try to just eat everything you want to eat right at the end of a fast, that's a really bad idea as well. And then if you're fasting for three days or certainly more than that, your first meal back is probably just going to be some juice. So you get your, your insides working again. It's actually really good for your gut to have a time of resting. But if you haven't eaten in days and you offer it a, a you know, full hamburger and fries, that is the worst feeling, the worst thing you can do. So come back in gently and softly. Now, for our congregational fast, what I'm suggesting, what we as uh, the leaders have been talking about for several months, this is not a commandment. You don't have to do this. It doesn't make you a second-rate member or attender here. But what we're suggesting is three things. Between now and Easter, which is five weeks away exactly, April 12th, I want to commend three things. First, a 24-hour fast each week. So five times the next five weeks, taking 24 hours off from food or from something else that the Lord puts on your heart. A 24-hour fast is enough to be hard, but it also doesn't disrupt your lifestyle too much. So 24-hour fast, second daily prayer for renewal. At least once a day, taking some time to, to pray. Maybe you write your prayers out. Maybe you say your prayers out loud or get together with somebody else and pray, but Each day for the next five weeks, consider praying at least once for renewal, for the renewal of your heart, the renewal of your relationships, for Trinity, for the community, whatever God sets on your heart. And then third, we want to suggest that you abstain from something. Could be a couple things, could be a single thing, but consider what God might have you take off, take out of your life for the next five weeks. I've done some social media fasts, which uh, I actually enjoy those because I don't enjoy social media. Um, You can fast from your smartphone, take all the apps off so it can only call and send text messages like the good old days. You can fast from TV, you can fast from caffeine, fast from sugar, alcohol, whatever the Lord sets on your heart. Abstain from something, consider abstaining for 35 days. One of the things we've done in the past is going a month uh, as much as we can without spending money. So nothing above basic groceries and daily necessities. In the same way, that has a way of sort of purging the the consumerism from our lives to go a whole month without, you know, any unnecessary expenses. It it resets the way we think about money. Maybe even if you've never tithed before, this is a month where you commit to tithing. Even if it's not sustainable or it seems like it, it can't work, what could you give up for a month to tithe, whether it's here or somewhere else, to get you on the path to doing that more regularly? Lent is a season of devotion. Even if you can't sustain it long-term, it's a way to to dive in more deeply than any other time of year in prayer and fasting and worship. So 24-hour fast once a week, daily prayer for renewal and abstaining from something the Lord puts on your heart. Does that sound pretty reasonable? I think that's something we can do together. If you don't feel led to it, of course, that's all right. But I want to close with a great story from... Uh, from the Gospels from Luke where Jesus is with his disciples and they've gone and they've done ministry for day after day and they haven't eaten. And so picture yourself out in the Middle Eastern sun doing ministry, traveling from town to town without food, very little water. They reach Samaria and Jesus sends the disciples to get some food in town. And then he waits at Jacob's well, if you know this story. He has this profound conversation with the Samaritan woman, totally changes her life. When the disciples come back, they've got the food and they're like, Jesus, you know, who's ready to eat? We found a taco truck or whatever. And Jesus' response, I love it. He says, I have food you know nothing about. I have food you know nothing about. And I love that and I want that for myself and I want that for all of us so deeply. That we can have food or we can not have food. We can be full or we can be hungry. We can have an abundance or we can have a lack. We can have success or we can have failure. We can have high days and we can have low ones. And we receive it as all from the Lord, all for our maturity in Christ. I have food the outside world knows nothing about. We're always satisfied regardless of whether we have a lot or a little. Fasting, as I said at the beginning, it only works if your heart and your mind is focused on something greater. And even if you don't feel it in the moment when you start your fast, if you don't, you know, if your desire for food is far stronger than your desire for God, which I think it is often in my life and throughout the day, especially when I'm hungry, it's okay to start anyways and to say, Lord, would you make me hungrier for your presence than I am for food? Commit yourself to, to finding that which is stronger and greater than food itself. How much better than food would it be if we saw hundreds of people come to know Christ this year and the churches around town? How much greater than food would it be if we saw churches all over the city joining hands in prayer, crying out to God together from different denominations and traditions, even sharing resources to send people to the nations that don't have the same access to things that we have? How much greater than food would it be if we saw an outpouring of God's Spirit in our very midst? We do this together to hunger after the true and living God, to purify our souls and to seek God's power for our lives. And so to finish with that quote from earlier, if you don't feel strong desires for God, it's because your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. Let's pray.